Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jones, Bowden, he's got it, England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Stokes flashes it away, through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Leather on willow, or shall I say willow on leather. It's beautiful, isn't it? And it's so lovely to hear it at this time of year in April, to get used to that lovely sound again. This is actually my son, Billy, practicing with me. And oh, my throwing wasn't particularly good. Oh my God. That's it. But we were trying a new bat and a new bat make, actually, a, a company called GB Willow, who kindly supported this podcast. They were founded in 2018 by Simon Beale, who worked for Gray Nichols, the original bat maker, for a long time, 27 years, in fact. And his son is now involved in his company as well. GB Willow has been set up in the last couple of years and make bespoke bats for all abilities and all price ranges. And uh, we were trying out the top grade GB Willow bat today. And I'll tell you what, it is absolutely magnificent. It really picks up beautifully. It feels like a wand in your hand and just the ball was flying off. And it felt like batting with a mattress, actually. It was, it was an absolutely amazing experience. So go to gbwillow.co.uk to find out more about this new bat maker. It's a tough business being a bat maker. And uh, it's great to hear that there are more independent backmakers coming through. We've got actually an interview with a very interesting character later in this show who also makes bespoke bats. That's it. That's the one. This podcast today is about remarkable people or perhaps remarkable feats as well, in a way. Four different individuals who've achieved something pretty special in the game. Uh, the first of those is Dickie Bird, who, as many of you may already be aware, he was 90 a couple of days ago. So I thought, actually, I'd give him a ring and just wish him happy birthday. So this was the call we had. Hello? Dickie Bird, Simon Hughes calling. How are you? I'm just wishing you a happy birthday. Oh, thanks a lot, mate. How are you? 90. <laughs> I know you're 90. I know, it's amazing. How are you? 
I, I feel all right. Feel okay now, you know. What What have you been doing for your birthday? They've had a, they had a luncheon for me at uh, Edingley in the hour suite. There were three three hundred people there. Fantastic. Yeah. Did you make a speech? Yeah, it, Mike Parkinson came up for me. Oh, how lovely! And he he just interviewed me, you know, like he used to do in his show there. Yeah, but he's not so well. No, I know. Actually, I, I went to his show. He he was doing a show with um, his son, wasn't he? About yeah, his son came up with him. Yeah, right. And and how are you keeping generally? I'm, I'm all right. I had a bit of a scare with my prostate. Right. But and, and he he. Uh, he uh, he had he scanned it scanned me and you know in, in hospital and there's no cancer there. That's good. And That's good news. Very good. And are you are you getting out and about? Oh yeah, I do me. I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing. A, I go to the, the local uh, park where I live, and I go. I run around there, round the park, run around and do, do general exercises for about an hour, and I find that keeps me. Keeps me the brain occupied. Brilliant. Uh, and I said to P- Professor Katu, who, 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 who's been treating me for, with my prostate, he, I said, Do you think I should pack up? He said, No, no, no. You keep doing them because it occupies the brain. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, and you watching any cricket? Yorkshire. We, 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 play, we played Leicestershire. That was about a fortnight ago, and uh, we lost. Let's your beat us. And then uh, you also play Glamorgan next uh, a week tomorrow. And uh, then we had an inter-match at Edinley then to uh, end of July. Wow. Not what, a county match. What, 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 an, what on earth are you going to do then? I just don't know. <laughs> I'll probably go mad. <laughs> what do you mean? You are mad. <laughs> Oh dear! It's nice to hear from you. Well, it's nice to hear from you as well, and I, I hope you're keeping. Has Jeffrey? Has Jeffrey wished you happy birthday today? He should. Yes, he sent me a card. He sent you a card. Like a card. I, I bet it was from a charity shop. And then, yeah, it looks that way. And, and also the uh, he said to me, uh, "Can you can you change your birthday? Then I'll be able to come." I said, I can't, you don't change birthday, do you? Okay, well, so anyway, well, no, congrats. Um, I mean, it's fantastic. What an innings. Aye, that's what uh, Professor O.I.C.E. said. It's a good innings. He said, because, you know, there's not many people. He said, get to 90. There's not many people around at 90, he said. <laughs> no. I just I just wish you'd given me more LBWs. Well, you, 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 you get to, today, you would get. A, a stack of them with this <laughs> technology. You would. Okay. Yeah. You would. Seriously, time you get a, a you get you get a stack. Yeah. Technology gives a few of them out, doesn't it? Yeah. And are you enjoying? Are you enjoying life? You know, generally. Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Brilliant. Well done. Um, yeah, I, thanks I, for ringing. I hope to catch you. Uh, I hope to catch you at Headingley this year in your. 91st year, I think it's amazing. Well 91st done. 91st year, yeah. Spectacular. Yeah. All right, take care. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Simon. Not at all. Thank Pleasure, you. mate. Cheers. See Bye-bye. you. Bye. Bye-bye.
Fantastic, isn't it, to hear him, age 90, so full of beans. And actually, you know, he talks there about that he goes for a run. And actually, he does. You know, I'm going to post on my Twitter feed at The Analyst uh, a clip from BBC North who filmed an interview with him. And it shows him actually going for a run. I mean, it's a bit of a stumble, I suppose, a bit of a stagger around the local park. But he still does it, age 90. It's fantastic to see. He's so full of beans. He's so full of life still. Uh, What a character, I suppose. You know, he was the original, perhaps the only celebrity umpire. And actually, in his last test match at Lords, England-India, 1996, there was a guard of honour, both teams lining up outside the pavilion on the grass there. He walks out with a great ceremony, waving and people cheering. It was an incredible scene, really. I think there was a tear in his eye. He then took his position at the uh, pavilion end for the first over, Bowled by, I think it was Javagal Srinath too, Mike Atherton, who'd introduced him to both teams at the start and wished him uh, a happy retirement. And about fourth ball of the morning, Javagal Srinath wraps Atherton on the pads. Dickie gives him out, LBW. <laughs> and that was a rarity, him giving LBWs, as I, I mentioned there. Of course, there are many mad stories about him. His autobiography was one of the sort of best sellers when it came out, uh, unbelievably, really. I think it sold... Uh, over a million copies and of course you know the stories you'll have heard the the time that Alan Lamb gave him a mobile phone to to hold and then someone from the dressing room phoned it during an over and he had an absolute kind of wobbly Uh, another time someone set fire to his newspaper when he was reading it before play I've got my own silly and in a way mad story which sort of encapsulates Dickie's idiosyncrasy it was a Benson Hedges Cup semi-final I think in about the late nine, uh, the late 1980s. And it was Middlesex against Hampshire down at Southampton, the old ground in Southampton. And it rained in the morning. Uh, rain and bad light tended to follow him around tra- traditionally. And this was a, a typical example. No play before lunch, a waterlogged pitch. So we were looking around for things to do. And Dickie, you know, he's a restless sort of soul. He was in and out of our dressing rooms, kind of being quite annoying, really, kind of trying to talk and trying to find out what we were doing. Anyway, I said, look, Dickie, you, you look as if you need some exercise. So there's a health club across the the other side of the field. Let's go in there and do a bit of a workout, you know, just for something to do. So he followed me over and we went into this the health club, sort of Hampshire, CCC, little kind of spa area. And we went and had a little bit of a workout in the gym, did a few weights. I think we walked on the treadmill for a bit and... Then I said, um, let's go into the spa. So we went and had a, a sauna. And then finally, we got in the jacuzzi. And there he was in his sort of war issue Y front, sinking into the warm water of the jacuzzi. Never been in one before. So oh, this is, this is lo- bloody lovely, he's saying. This is fantastic. Anyway, we got out. And eventually, um, we went and had lunch. And soon after lunch, play started. The, the, the ground had got dried up and we could start the game. I was opening the bowling. And I was opening the bowling, unusually for Hampshire, they'd opened the batting with Robin Smith, who was a really daunting opponent, you know, absolutely consumed nervous bowlers for breakfast. And he was looking there, you know, pretty belligerent and pugnacious, and I was quite nervous, and I was bowling from Dickie's end. And the first ball of the match, I thought, I've got to go and set the tone here. It's important to get on a good line and length and deny Robin Smith easy early runs. So... I ran up and bowled a fairly tame half volley. He absolutely drilled it to mid-off, where Mike Gatting, who had had a bad hand, so he wasn't in the slip, so he was at mid-off. 
he had to dive and stop it. And that kind of made his injury, that exacerbated his injury. So he wasn't too happy, but he did actually stop it. So that was a dot ball. So I was thinking, oh, I don't think I should pitch it up too much. I better drag my length back a bit. So second ball, I'm running in again. And Robin Smith, this time a slightly short of a length, absolutely hammers this cut through backward point. Brilliant stop by Mark Rambrakash at backward point there. So just about managed to get the first two balls out of my system, two dot balls. But I was now really nervous because I didn't really find, I didn't really know where to bowl in a way that's such a brilliant batsman. So I'm running in for the third ball and the crowd have just started to come in and there's a bit of a buzz about this semi-final about to happen. I'm running in for the third ball and halfway through my run, Dickie sticks out an arm at my end and says as if I've got to stop because something's happened. And I'm imagining that perhaps either he's dropped one of his coins or his marbles or whatever, or perhaps the, the batsman's seen something behind my arm and someone's moving about behind the sight screen. So I've come up to an abrupt stop in the middle of this first over of a key knockout match. And Dickie turns to me and he says to me, Hey, it were grand in that bubble bath, won't it? And that was it. That's all he said. That was the only reason he'd stop play because he loved that experience in the jacuzzi. So anyway, I thought that, <laughs> that really sums up his insane character. But what a wonderful story that he is 90 this week and still so full of life. So that's one remarkable man in cricket. Um, I just want to dwell a little bit on events in the county championship yesterday, Thursday, especially at Worcester, at New Road Worcester, where the 23-year-old Tom Price, clean out of Durham University, my old alma mater, has had a day out, uh, and that's an understatement. He comes into bat for Gloucestershire at 45 for seven. 45 for seven, his brother Ollie already out, and he makes a maiden first-class 100, 109 from 98 balls. If you look on the uh, Worcestershire stream, you'll see some extravagant shots, 12 fours and four sixes, some amazing striking, especially over the sort of mid-wicket area. Totally revives the innings so that eventually Gloucestershire total 231 from an absolute calamitous 45 for seven. And then he's not finished. He comes on to bowl, opening the bowling for Gloucestershire, he takes a hat-trick. He takes a hat-trick, and no ordinary hat-trick. He's got Azhar Ali, the Pakistan international, caught Bracey, bold price, naught. Next ball, Jack Haynes, seasoned professional, caught Bracey, bold price, naught. And then the hat-trick delivery, Brett D'Oliveira, captain of Worcestershire, caught Bracey, bold price, naught. All three balls, excellent. If you look on the, the, the Worcestershire stream, beautifully pitched, leaving the bat, little edge, caught behind. Absolutely amazing. And he is the first person in first-class history to have scored a 100 and taken a hat-trick on the same day. And, of course, it's not only his first hat-trick. It's his second hat-trick in first-class cricket. Only four Gloucestershire players have ever taken two hat-tricks in their career. One of those is Mike Proctor, and he didn't get a 100 on the same day, though, of course, he was a brilliant batsman as well. So an incredible feat by a young player, formerly from Durham University, now finding his way for Gloucestershire. And it just made me think, actually, when I heard about that story, about another amazing feat by a player that, you know, had really had a fairly anonymous career before this. And this was Kevin James. 
who played with me for Middlesex. It was very much a contemporary. We grew up in the Middlesex under-19 side together. And then uh, we played for Middlesex a few times. Kevin didn't really quite get a, a, a solid position in the Middlesex team. So eventually he moved to Hampshire and had a more successful career there. But he was a, a steady county cricketer, unspectacular cricketer. He was a left-arm medium pace swing bowler and a, a good solid left-hand bat with a few strokes uh, who sort of tended to bat a number four or five but he had nothing sort of special about his career in terms of uh, you know amazing performances but one match against the Indian tourists in 1996 he had just the most incredible day he scored a hundred and then he took four wickets in four balls and they weren't ordinary wickets either. Well, of course not, because he's playing against India. So one of them was Sachin Tendulkar, another one was Sanjay Mandraka, and another one was Raul Dravid. <laughs> four in four. And that is the only time a cricketer in the history of first-class cricket has scored a century and taken four wickets in four balls. Amazing. And you can now hear Kevin commentating for BBC Radio, BBC Local Radio, on all Hampshire matches. So he's still in the game. Fantastic. And after the break, we're going to hear another story about a remarkable man in cricket. Now, a few years ago, Mike Kennedy was a naval officer working in Iraq. He was a specialist engineer. And on this particular day, he was checking some aerials on top of a shipping container which was a sort of temporary wireless station, temporary communications centre. And suddenly a bomb goes off, a rocket hits the shipping container. He's knocked off the top of it and falls about 20 feet and breaks his back. He was lucky to survive, in fact. Survive he did, but he couldn't carry on his work in the Navy. So after his rehabilitation and recovery, he had to have a new direction. And he decided to form a bat company, and he called it World Class Willow. And it's actually doing rather well now. So I caught up with him the other day to find out the circumstances around his accident and what happened next. I suffered a, a severe injury to the lower back um, after a rocket attack um, whilst I was there and uh, ended up uh, having various surgeries, being obviously hospitalised in a field hospital whilst I was there and then flown back to the UK afterwards and then, um, yeah, many operations later, spinal stimulators and various other things fitted. Um, yeah, it was uh, not the best experience, let's, let's put it that way. But uh, a blessing in disguise, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for that in some respects. And, and how did you get into what you're doing now? What was your uh, background interest in, in bat making and stuff? I think it, um, well, the bat making side of things, it's, it's stemmed. I've always played cricket. I love my cricket. And uh, part of, it was, in a weird way, as part of my recovery process. Um, working with Tim Bear, but um, when I actually left the military, I started working in sort of the forestry sector. And uh, that was the eye opener, really, um, to well, spur me on to do what I'm doing now, really. Um, stuff, stuff with trees, claps. Um, and then seeing sort of, well, using my background and my knowledge as a mechanical engineer and going, okay, um, the process is pretty simple. Um, it's more of a, a, you know, there's not courses out there where you can learn how to 
myself worked with some timber and nailed it really in the end um, after a few years and I am and uh, you, you're based in Somerset um, you sort of set up sort of on your own how hard was that initially oh <laughs> madness um, very hard it was um, yeah it, w- it was extremely hard I, I was I, one place I was based at a farm in an old rundown built uh, barn that was when I first started and then a very fortunate friend of mine had a workshop and had some space so I started there uh, but moved there and started operating from there um, and then COVID hit obviously a few years ago um, when I decided I wanted to make the jump and have my own premises where we had a showroom and a workshop where we had that open door policy um, that people could come and see what's what uh, and literally moved into there seven days before um national lockdown so it was yeah it was a heck of a road to sort of um where we are now that's 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 a, that's a fact um and again it's it, it, in some ways it, it was it was good that i got to experience all this because of, as we know there was a lot of businesses that struggled through the pandemic and um you know finding my feet and trying to make it work having to make it work really um it sort of, yeah, it spurred me on. It, it got me to where I am now, really. And, uh, yeah, I, I look back at it. It was stressful, but hell of a worth it. Enjoy it now. Yeah, I mean, you, I you, 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 you enjoy it, but you don't have any free time. I mean, so yeah. what, what, um, what, in a way, I mean, I mean, obviously it's quite hard establishing a new bat brand in a, you know, mm. fair, a sort of booming market or a, a growing market. Yeah. Um, what yeah. differentiates your bats from from others? Would you say? I think it was it was again a part of the learning process of like getting into bat making. You know, we when we first you'll remember it um, when we first launched the first sort of um, uh, design and profile that we come up with was very traditional. Um, Answer the decals were very traditional. It was it was something that. <laughs> The, the industry's always been same old, same old. It's it, the, the games move forward so at a rapid rate. Um, yet the actual industry, the the, the bat making side of things, has always stayed pretty much a hundred years behind. And <laughs> not in a bad way. It's just it's always you talk to anyone that's in the industry and you ask them the question, "Oh, why is it done that way?" And it's because oh, that's how it's always been been done traditionally. So that was another moment I thought, actually, it's time to change this up a little bit. And I, I, I look to the game. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the short format. Um, obviously, I love my test cricket, don't get me wrong. Um, but I was like, well, let's look at this and let's see how do we differentiate ourselves from everyone else. So we decided to get, get a bit more out there. Um, we went with the funky, obviously, designs. Um, we, I love making big bats anyway, so we started making bigger bats and started playing around, seeing what people liked and what what people didn't like. It was all trial and error, um, but it just paid off in the end, really. Uh, the, the the product now is going down sensationally well. Um, everyone seems to love it. Um, the feedback that we get is phenomenal. Um, it's, that's you know, we just wanted to be different. We we, we realised we had to be different, otherwise we we would be like every 
And, and when you say bigger bats, are they <clears throat> heavier, thicker, hit the ball further? What what makes them bigger, actually? Because you're restricted by uh, certain things, aren't you? You are restricted by certain things. I think it's, it's a combination. It's, it's giving to understand what you're working with and not fighting against it. Um, Willow is a natural product at the end of the day, and... Yes, there's profiles, there's certain profiles that you're trying to follow because obviously that stands you out as well, but you you can't fight against the wood. And if you if you know how to make a good bat, you can make a good bat feel better than it, uh, as in pick up nicer and feel lighter than it needs to be. So you, it allows you to leave a little bit more in the blade. And ultimately that's sort of what sets the society, really. You know, at the end of the day, the bats are still handmade. Yes, we follow a sort of profile, um, to an extent, but I won't force a bit of willow to become something that it shouldn't be. So that that's what allows us to be slightly different. And also the realisation of the fact that, you know, again, the industry was so set in this way about and how it needs to be traditional. You know, there was about so 26, 27, 28, 29, so on, so on. And yeah, you look at the cricketer and you look at the player now, especially the professional player. These are athletes. They're all built differently. They're all, you know, stacked, muscles on muscles. And even down to club cricketers now, we're all built differently. So bats are going to feel different from one player to another. So it's a case of looking at that and going, well, if I gave a group of 10 people a bat and said to them, right, tell me the weight of that bat, None of them, I, well, maybe one of them might get that weight right, but it will feel different to every individual. So that, again, it allows us to create something a little bit more special, and it's more bespoke service, really. I suppose it's part of the bat-making trade and the art of bat-making, really. It's understanding the willow that you're working with. If you can understand the willow that you're working with, you should be able to create a good bat. Where is where is your best willow from, or is that a closely guarded secret? <laughs> To be honest, uh, there, there's no there's no uh, specific region that it grows really well. You know, climate change is playing a part. You know, we're we're having longer, hot, hotter summers. We're having wetter winters and colder winters. So, I, I remember our sort of podcast many years ago, um, and I remember you were speaking to a groundsman at the time, and he was saying how climate change is having an effect on how they prepare wickets. It's very similar with how trees are growing now. So, some of the best trees that I've had, um, going back to the question, is um, I've had some amazing willow come out of Yorkshire before. I've had some fantastic willow come out of Suffolk and around that area, and even down here in Somerset. Um, trees, if trees are looked after and um, <laughs> I sort of tended well and you know, over their lifespan, if you can leave them in the ground a little bit longer, they're fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's, the, I've got to, you know, take my hat off to the tree at the end of the day. <laughs> Half the battle of producing a good bat is the willow that you work with. And yeah, it's it's working out where that is. If I could pinpoint a certain area or a certain condition that it grows phenomenally well on and it produces fantastic willow, um, yeah, I'd probably be a multi-millionaire by now. <laughs> and, and can you um, can you recognise when you see a, a piece of willow that's come off a tree? 
you know, a fairly raw piece, can you sort of immediately tell that's going to be a great bat? There's certain characteristics in, in the willow that I look for, um, a certain colorations, um, certain grain count that I, I pretty much know will make a good bat um, straight off. And I thank the tree for that. Um, <laughs> that's, that you do get some oddities. You, there is, at the end of the day, willow is a natural product. It, it, no two pieces are really ever the same. So there is certain pieces that I say you look out for and normally 99 times out of 100, they, they produce fantastic bats. Other times it can be one of the ugliest pieces of willow going that just produces an absolute cannon. And um, it still surprises me to this day. And it's quite a nice surprise. I got them there. Normally ends up in my kit bag. <laughs> And and what's the feedback from from you, some of your players? Give us a couple of examples. A feedback. Um, oh, the, to be honest, the, the guys love the product. Um, they, they they're constantly pestering me. It's they they're always here. It seems you know, especially the Somerset lads, they love popping in and um, having a look through my secret tray. <laughs> That's. Um, Secret tray, secret bucket, sorry, of, of bats. And um, they, 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 yeah, the feedback's been sensational. I, I, yeah, it's very humbling, really. I, I have various other international pros knock on the door, um, always wanting me to white label, but you know, I've got to look at that uh, in, in some respect and going, well, actually, what's the benefit to myself, except for um, it's lovely seeing an international cricketer using your product, but not when it's branded up with some other brand. That's the only, that's the only, the only part that I don't really like about the job. Um, but no, it's, uh, yeah, the feedback's good. The feedback's really good. I, I, I suppose, um, you know, the, 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 the danger of producing fantastic bats is <laughs> you become rather overworked. Yeah, so yeah, as you know. <laughs> How long have we been trying to pin down this conversation? Um, <laughs> it is. It's, we're now at a point within the business where I'm looking at it and going, okay, well, where do we go now? Um, you know, we're so busy. Um, we've got products in retail. We've brought, see, international players now using the products. We've got various professionals um, across the counties and franchise. It's it's now okay. Where do we go next? And I think I'm sort of having conversations with myself at the moment. But yeah, it's picking and choosing. Okay, what do we do? Where do we go? I think that's the exciting, the next exciting phase of the business. Really. Okay, where do we expand out to now? What do we do? I've still got a huge passion for the job, and I love what, doing what I do. Yes, I okay, I put in the hours, and uh, doesn't seem to be much time off, but I love it. And when you can, when you know you're getting up in the morning and you're going to do the job that you absolutely love, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? Very true. Um, what a great guy, and and we're all so lucky to be working in cricket, actually, uh, as he says. So look out for. World Class Willow, worldclasswillow.com, absolutely superb bats. Uh, They do range in price from about 700 quid to about 200. But actually, I've tried a few of them, and both versions, even the the 250 pound ones, are 
damn good actually so so look out for those and also i'd just like to thank simon beale and his team for sponsoring this podcast on behalf of gb willow i think gb willow is one also to look out for gbwillow.co.uk based in bexhill in sussex and they're just starting out so worth supporting a small growing company like that using english willow and bespoke design as well and the clicking you heard at the start of this podcast is from one of the new gb willow bats so both those companies worth supporting with your wares if you're looking for a new bat okay that's it some interesting stories from some interesting people in the game more to come after this latest round of county championship matches have been completed see you then thanks for listening Podcast Network.